0: I am so excited to announce that we are reaching the one year anniversary of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. And in order to transition from season one to season two, in the next three episodes, we will be showcasing the most listened to interviews of 2020. Clinicians are featured in this week's episode where they share their stories as entrepreneurs. In private practice, healers in their healthcare specialty and their experience with owning or leasing their office space where they use it as a strategic tool in order to access their patients or a financial tool, and sometimes both, um, to invest in themselves. In episode 21, we hear from Dr. John Schufeld of NMD, who is a serial private practice healthcare entrepreneur and in episode seven, we hear from Kip Edwards, the former vice president of facilities management at Banner Health, where he shares how the largest healthcare provider in Arizona increased its footprint of hospitals, medical office buildings, and urgent care centers in order to meet the demands of its growth. In episode eight, we listen to Tom Long, who is the physical therapist and owner of Above and Beyond Physical Therapy, where he shares his story as a clinician and an entrepreneur and his pandemic experience as both episode 12 interview is with Miriam Zirio, who is a nurse practitioner at the healing house offering family practice services on a monthly subscription basis or fee-for-service basis and they also offer eastern therapies to integrate with their western therapies in episode four we hear from Dr. Cherie Dursom of Integrative Medicine of Arizona, where she offers integrative and functional medical healthcare services in order to understand and treat why our bodies are not feeling well, in addition to just diagnosing and healing what is wrong. So listen in next week as we showcase the top five interviews with healthcare real estate investors from 2020. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns.
1: things were done so that by the time the provider saw them, the patient would have the appropriate labs, EKG, chest X-ray, lung residual volumes, and other things. The provider could say, wow, it looks like you came in with this. Here's your exam findings. All these tests have already been done. And here's your diagnosis, or here's here's what our plan is. So I, I called it. I wanted to take medicine away from sequential treatment to concurrent treatment so the patients weren't going to the waiting room, then to the front desk, and back to the waiting room, then the triage, back to the waiting room. I wanted it all to happen at once. So they were being triaged while they are going through the front desk process, you know, that we take their cards, take their insurance cards. And at that time, tests were ordered and tests were initiated while they are waiting for the provider to see them. So we cut down our door-to-door time dramatically just by looking at it again from the patient's perspective, thinking about concurrent care, not sequential care. I hate having to wait in line for things when things can be done coterminously and not sequentially.
0: My interview today is with Dr. John Schufeld, a pioneer in innovating the care delivery model and cost of healthcare care. His experience as an emergency room physician inspired him to create the urgent care company NextCare. Seeing more efficiency needed in the urgent care model initiated him to start MeMD, a virtual medical and behavioral health company. John shares how with each company, his goal is to make healthcare a more time and cost efficient process for the patient. John shares his vision for the future of healthcare, discussing how artificial intelligence and using blockchain technology for electronic medical records are the next steps in innovating care delivery. All right. Well, welcome, John. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for taking time out of your very full schedule to record this interview with me. Pleasure. So as a practicing ER physician, leader, entrepreneur, you continue to pioneer impactful changes to the healthcare delivery model. Did you initially set out to create these businesses to improve efficiency, increase access, and reduce medical costs? No. I
1: just, looking back at the time, saw a need and thought way back in the urgent care days, Someone and sometimes going to say, Why are we spending so much money for patients with, you know, basically relatively trivial complaints? And there must be another way to do it. Uh, urgent Cares hadn't really started yet. And uh, I think there's probably a few in the country, but they're pretty few and far between. And so living in Phoenix, there weren't any. So I, I started one in Phoenix and grew it from there.
0: So, MeMD, you started in 2010, 10 years ago, and it provides telehealth and telebehavioral health services? Correct. So after building NextCare, what did you see that healthcare still needed that inspired your vision for this company and to take healthcare services online?
1: Well, a couple of things. One, you know, with urgent care centers, you know, providers often had downtime. So in the winter, they were busy. In Arizona, in the summer, they were slow. And, you know, even when they were slow, you still have the overhead of the urgent care center to pay for, including provider salaries. And so about 2009, I thought, well, if there was a way to leverage their medical license or licenses, if they had more than one state, and they could see patients virtually, wouldn't that be a great way to lower, to improve the revenue model, which would help mitigate some of the fixed expenses? And then number two is a lot of patients, you know, I, friends would call up and they'd tell me their symptoms and I would say, oh, it sounds like you need X. And then if it was appropriate, I'd call in an antibiotic for them, jot a quick note down. Oh, wow this was a this could be a business model seeing patients virtually because a lot of patients you know the majority of the diagnosis is in the history and littles in the physical But for those patients wouldn't it be great if they could see a provider online much like you and I are talking now and you could you know electronically document their medical record they could upload any information and you could e-prescribe And so that was a genesis of MMD in 2010.
0: Well, you know, I've interviewed some healthcare companies and providers that telehealth was, you know, in their business plans, and they just started to use it during this pandemic. And did me, MD, have to develop any new capabilities to address COVID-19?
1: No, we were, you know, I always say, all of a sudden, we became the hot girl to dance in 2010. <laughs> for, for nine years, it was uh, convincing people the importance of it. And in this year, uh, we had to do very little convincing.
0: So how does the virtual healthcare model and the brick and mortar healthcare model and support each other?
1: Well, I think when I left Next care and started MeMD, I went around to urgent cares and, and pitched them on the idea of, wouldn't it be great during your provider's downtime that they could see patients from all over the state if they had more than one license all over multiple states? At the time, I think I had 30 licenses. And almost to a person, to a urgent care center, except one, they said, well, yeah, but we're going to, we're going to, steal our own business. In other words, for the patients that normally come to us, they'll just come virtually now where the charges are half. And why would we want to why would we want to do it to ourselves? And I said, yeah, I think some people will do that. But you know, your urgent care sees people in about a three to four mile radius statistically. So wouldn't you want to have access to the whole state? And that way also you can get your name out there to the folks in other parts of the state. And literally I could not get anybody To buy off on that concept, probably because I was a bad salesperson, but now most urgent cares have a telemedicine component to what they're doing. But back then, and for multiple years after, I couldn't get anybody to buy into that.
0: That's interesting. So, going back to your ER days, you know what what were the problems you were seeing there that you know inspired you to create NextCare to
1: solve those? Well, I mean, you know, I'm sitting in the emergency department right now, and it's a brand new freestanding, so it's not super busy course when you called it was um, <laughs> and probably half the patients i've seen today don't need to be in the emergency department and when i went into emergency medicine what i liked about it was taking care of critical patients i liked doing the procedures i liked realistic patients and i saw over the years more and more patients were utilizing it as their primary care physician for a number of reasons one the lack of primary care physicians and lack of access and number two, when those patients came in, they shared a disproportionate amount of the cost. So people came in with a UTI or bronchitis or something simple would often walk out with a six to nine hundred dollar bill between the hospital and facility bill and the professional component, the physician bill, and then the radiology and lab and every other thing, you know, they were literally getting cr- getting crushed with the cost of it. And so for an urgent care model, you know, our goal is to keep the net revenue per patient around $120. And so oftentimes patients were paying 20%, 18% of what they'd spend in the emergency department. And it was much quicker oftentimes as well because we were, you know, at least in next care, we were hyper-efficient.
2: Episode 7, Banner Health, a healthcare company growing to meet the needs of its patients.
3: One of the things we did during the planning and the reaction phase is we converted a lot to telemedicine. Our operating rooms have been integrating video technology for many years now. So I think we'll continue to see telemedicine grow.
0: I'm very excited to share today's interview with Kip Edwards, who has led the always expanding facilities operation at Banner Health for 14 years. He describes Banner Health as a healthcare company that grows its real estate and operations based on patients' needs. Kip shares his experience at Banner Health known for its hospitals and expanding into buying or building facilities, including medical buildings and urgent care centers in locations where their patients need care. Kip shares how COVID-19 accelerated Banner's telemedicine program in order to continue to treat patients in their homes and looks to enhance this service in the future. Kip Edwards, Vice President of Facility Services at Banner Health, is my guest today. Banner Health operates in Arizona, Colorado, Nebraska, and Wyoming. In Arizona, Banner Health operates the largest nonprofit hospital system. As a teaching hospital, Banner partners with University of Arizona and is the largest private employer in Arizona. In Colorado, it is one of the largest employers and across the board has 50,000 employees. Thank you very much, Kip, for taking the time to participate in this episode. My pleasure. So, Kip, the first question I have is, do you get any sleep with the footprint of the facilities that you cover?
3: I get quite a bit of sleep because I have a really good team. Uh, there's no way I would do uh, the job that I do without an excellent team that, that covers the geography and the breadth. In fact, in addition to the states you mentioned, we actually also operate in Nevada and California. Uh, so, we, we are spread a, a number of places. and. When you think in terms of facilities work, whether it's on the maintenance side and operations or project side, uh, in the end, the work really does get done on the ground at the location. And you got to rely on the team.
0: So looking at your resume with your West Point education, how is focus and discipline part of your work day?
3: Well, I think it gets ingrained from way back when, probably time management as much as anything. I've often been asked, what was the biggest thing you got out of on the West Point other than a, you know, an exceptional education and great relationships with friends. But I think probably top of the list is time management because our days were so full there every day, seven days a week for four years that you get used to just being on the move all the time and constantly having to prioritize what you're going to do next. And that has served me very well in my career all the way through up to it, including now.
0: So, in, you've been at Banner for 14 years, correct?
3: As a matter of fact, it is 14 years today.
0: Oh, wow. I just, Great. I
3: didn't realize that myself. I just got a nice note from our president and CEO, Peter Fine, and from my boss, who's Becky Kuhn, who's the uh, chief operating officer of Banner, that we're saying congratulations for 14 years. And I realized today was actually the day. <laughs>
0: So how has the real estate grown from when you started to where it is now to support the operation?
3: Well, it's really the operation has grown and the real estate has followed, uh, I think, more than anything else. Clearly, we've added several facilities, uh, several complete medical centers. We built Gateway. We built Ironwood. We're building Acateo right now. Uh, we built Fort Collins. Those were all brand new medical centers, and then we expanded in a number of other existing locations. But I think more than that, when you look at our overall footprint from what it was 14 years ago, we were a hospital company. You know, we had some number of hospitals, and we existed on these little medical center plots around, and now we're all over the place with, with true healthcare as a healthcare company. Uh, we have fifty plus urgent care centers. We have imaging centers. Uh, we have ambulatory surgery centers. We have, let's say, two hundred plus locations for our Banner uh, Medical Group clinics, basically. So our overall footprint has distributed widely and varied quite a bit over that that period of time.
0: Well, I know uh, the last economic downturn, Banner Health implemented the the hub and spoke model in an effort to to treat non-acute care patients in the communities and reach its patients there, but then keep the hospitals treating acute care patients. Has this strategy proven effective in managing the costs and leveraging the needs of the patients, and especially now with um, treating COVID-19 patients if they need acute care versus um, you know, non-acute care with milder symptoms?
3: I think the strategy's been effective. It's, it's basically what healthcare has had to evolve to you know, hospital care will always be a part of the delivery system and always be an important part of the delivery system. But as we looked forward and as we looked at the healthcare system evolving to having more and more of our business be at risk and and us providing the healthcare coverage, to do that effectively, you have to put the healthcare resources into the communities you serve. You have to reach out with clinics. You have to reach out with urgent care centers, you basically want to say, and it's hard for us since we've been a hospital company all these years, it's hard to say this. You want to say, don't come to the hospital. Come to one of these things. This is where you will receive your care. 95% of the care people receive over their lifetime typically happens on an outpatient setting.
2: Episode 8, Physical Therapy for All to Recover. Prevent pain and function better. Part 1.
4: For people that have been around our office for a while, it had this lovely uh, motif. It had a a nice mustard-colored walls with a mustard-colored floor, and it was just a little too much mustard. That was in 2007, and unfortunately, about seven years later, we had happened to have the opportunity to move into a little better space.
0: Today, I'm interviewing Tom Long, physical therapist and owner of Above and Beyond Physical Therapy with locations in Phoenix and Queen Creek, Arizona. I've known Tom for several years and really admire his approach to patient care. As a provider, small business owner, and employer, his culture of helpfulness starts from a patient's phone call, followed through therapy sessions, and he continues relationships post-therapy. Tom's episode spreads across two weeks. In today's episode, we hear Tom's passion for helping his patients, how he chose his clinic locations, the story behind the start of his practice, and how physical therapy can help with injury prevention and wellness. So welcome, Tom. Thank you for taking the time to interview.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Tricia.
0: So I know we are all fatigued in one way or another discussing COVID-19. I just want to take a moment to follow up briefly on uh, your editorial from the first episode called Managing Coronavirus, and then we can move on. So how was your patient volume since about mid-May, since the stay-at-home was lifted in Arizona?
4: Well, we've been on a little bit of a roller coaster ride since the pandemic began. We had an initial panic set in. And we were actually picking up pretty well. And with this, I guess we'd call it a second wave of, of heightened uh, alertness from what was going on, we seen a little bit of a dip from a patient perspective as well. But generally speaking, both offices have been picking up pretty steadily uh, since we started the pandemic changes in March.
0: And, um, you know, obviously you see rehabilitation patients, but are you seeing any athletes for performance enhancement yet?
4: So we're above and beyond physical therapy, and most of the patients that we see are neck pain, back pain, elbows shoulders knees post operative The patient volume from the standpoint of being preventative or from performance improvement has really been very slow to pick up. I still think there's a lot of trepidation and people still not quite feeling comfortable enough to do things that really are more of an elective type thing, if that makes sense. We are seeing a little pickup for us with elective surgeries trickling in, and I'm hoping that'll steadily improve through the, uh, through the summer.
0: So um, I wanna go to talking a little bit about above the background of Above and Beyond Physical Therapy and how you started. But I really like how when you open up your webpage, you your recovery is our passion is right there in the forefront. So uh, how did you come up with that?
4: Well, we were uh, so so many, many years ago, when we were getting our company off the ground, um, we did not have a slogan, and we did, but we had an, an ideal. So I had a business partner, and we had done physical therapy and occupational therapy. And one of our goals was we felt like we could do a, a great job, and, and really helping people was at the core of what we wanted to do and looking through different monikers and different things we felt like that was a something that really captured the spirit and the essence of what we were looking to do so uh i'm very passionate about helping people it's something i'm driven to do Uh, i'm very very fortunate to be able to do it and uh, we had some help from our our marketing team veronica and karen were two ladies that were helping us out we just started brainstorming different things and uh Karen Cummings was one that came up with Your Recovery is Our Passion. And the minute I saw it, I just that just gravitated to me. So there was a lot of great ideas that came out, but that's the one that just, you know, when you sleep on it and it just keeps rattling around in your brain, I knew that had to be the one.
0: And did they come up with the name Above and Beyond as well, Above and Beyond Physical Therapy?
4: No, that was... Uh, so when I started in physical therapy... I, w- I wasn't starting at this company, and uh, I had come out during a physical therapy recession, which was um, you know, the early, early 2000s, late 99s, early 2000s.
0: Why do you call it a physical therapy recession?
4: Well, uh, our industry in particular went through a particular change with Medicare. Medicare instilled what's called a Medicare cap, which had at the time sort of limited the amount of money that would be spent on outpatient rehabilitation services. So prior to that, um, there was no limit from Medicare. So uh, a lot of people had kind of knee-jerk reactions to the change from the insurance aspect. And there were thousands and thousands of PTs that lost their job. So that sort of redistributed where physical therapists worked. It drove a lot of people out of outpatient and into inpatient facilities or home health or skilled nursing facilities. And there was a, a very poor supply and demand curve for me coming out of school. So I had relocated from Chicago to Arizona uh, to, to start working, start my professional career. and. As a result of the changes in physical therapy, I found myself out of a job after about three months of working. So I had applied at at least 72 different outpatient physical therapy places in the greater Phoenix metro area and could not find a full-time job, so started a job. And when you are passionate about what you do and you combine that with the necessity of needing to do something, I would literally just do anything that we possibly could to help people out.
2: Episode 12, East Meets West for Primary Care.
5: Right, right. And you get that comfort level with that one place. And you know that when you go, when you go in, you're going to get good care no matter who it's from. Um, and and that's, the, you know, that's just the goal of the space. Um, And that's what we find. People come in and they start with one service and then they go to the next and the next. and, And that's what we want.
0: In today's episode, Miriam shares how she treats her primary care patients at The Healing House, where they benefit from Western and holistic healthcare services used together to treat the cause of health problems. As a true caregiver, Miriam wants to help her patients solve their healthcare problems using all the healing tools available. The long-term vision for The Healing House is to provide a one-stop shop for patients to receive all these services in one location with complimentary retail amenities. My guest today is Miriam Levering, board-certified nurse practitioner. She offers primary care services at The Healing House, a practice where a variety of healers work together to serve their patients with medical care, along with counseling, acupuncture, chiropractic, massage, yoga, meditation, skincare services, and more. Additionally, she works in the hospital environment as well. So we're going to get some update from her on how capacity is going. So thank you and welcome Miriam.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Very excited for today. Awesome. So Miriam, I was fortunate to have you and your editorial included uh, regarding COVID-19 in the first episode of this podcast, and I really appreciate your contribution. And as a frontline healthcare worker in the hospital, I want to thank you for your service and the ability to help us, you know, all through this pandemic.
5: Thank you. You're very welcome.
0: So as we are recording this in June, I would be remiss not to ask you a few follow up questions on the pandemic in Arizona, in the hospitals. So, are you caring for more COVID nineteen patients in the hospital right now? I personally am not.
5: Um, so we've um, the hospital has separated out the patients. So I work on an oncology floor, um, and they have separated out patients to where um, the patients that are suspected to have COVID or do have COVID are kept to. Um, very specific units, and they're only on those units. So, if they're an ICU, they're on one floor in one unit. If they're just med surge, so they don't need the ICU care, um, then they're on another unit. And so, those that just allows for a couple of things. So, there's you know, in the beginning, there was this issue with the uh, what we call PPE or personal protective equipment where you are running out of masks and gowns and gloves for the, the frontline workers. So, this allows less use of those because they can you're keeping those individuals um, all on one unit and those nurses are the ones that end up using that equipment and we don't have to put it out throughout the hospital for more people essentially to be using you kind of condense it so that helps minimize the use of the PPE and also then they have like the the specialized equipment, like we would call PAPRs, which are special hoods that have breathing systems so that it's very enclosed, the nurse is protected. So they have those all on those specific units as well. Um, so I get what we call downgrades. So patients that are not COVID positive then come to my unit afterwards. So I actually am fortunate not having to deal with too many direct direct encounters with people that we're suspecting or that do have COVID-19. Well, that separation makes a ton of sense for
0: uh, keeping resources managed very well.
5: Yeah, and keeping patients safe, right? So that we're, we're making sure that those that we're still suspecting are on one unit and the ones that we know, let's say they're coming in for surgery or they have other unrelated events, uh, bring them into the hospital. Then we, we're keeping them separate, minimizing their, their potential risk for exposure as best we can. That makes a ton of sense. And you mentioned in your editorial that providers are
0: receiving meals and support from the community during and between shifts. Has this helped everyone involved?
5: Um, Yeah, it was, there was a lot of it in the beginning and it is, I mean, anything that these companies um, do for us, I know that I was definitely using the Starbucks, the free coffee at Starbucks, (laughs) Um, but anything that that companies want to do is always very well received and they're very appreciated because we do. You know, we do what we do, whether you're a provider or a nurse or um, a care tech respiratory therapist. We do what we do because we love patient care. Um, We love working at the bedside with patients. So uh, to be acknowledged and to just essentially be thanked for it is always well received.
0: That's nice. That's nice. Thank you. Thank you for the update. So I want to talk about your new family practice today at the Healing House. And when did you open up this practice?
5: Healing House itself has been around for about five years. Mookie, who's the owner, he's had the business for about that amount of time. You know, he's an acupuncturist as well. So he's the owner and acupuncturist. So they originally had like the nutritionist, the um, massage therapy, facials, bioenergetic screening, which is like um, to see how your body's doing to give Mookie an idea of, you know, where, where you can benefit from whether it's uh, supplements or just some, some help, some energy work. So he does that and the nutrition. So that all was already, he, he built that practice originally. And then the space, he has a vision for, for Healing House growing quite a bit. Um, and so he always wanted to bring more services on board. And when the space next door became available, he took the opportunity and jumped at it and then brought on myself. So primary care our therapist, our psychologist, um, and then the chiropractor. So the goal being that patients can come to one place and get really great care all under one roof and bringing in kind of looking at the whole system, more from a holistic model, um, but also from, you know, so the Eastern medicine, but also the Western medicine with, with myself as a primary care practitioner.
2: Episode four, functioning better. Knowing the why, not just the what.
0: In this episode, Cherie Dersim, MD of Integrative Medicine of Arizona, discusses the benefits of her practice healing the whole patient with integrative or functional medicine. She provides personalized treatments based on solving the healthcare problems, not just the symptoms of her patients. In this interview, she promotes self-care and a healthy lifestyle as the first line of defense for a strong immune system and fighting off disease and infection. Please join me and Cherie for this informative episode. All right, today I'm very excited to interview Cherie Dursum, medical doctor. She is board certified in emergency medicine and practiced for seven years. Then she owned and operated urgent care centers for nine years before selling them. Now she's in private practice at Integrative Medicine of Arizona, focusing on offering her patients functional or integrative medical services. So, welcome, Sheree. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Trisha. Yes, thank you for your time. So, Sheree, first, I want to take a moment and thank you um, for your service and helping the patients you have throughout the years. When you know, as an emergency medicine physician and urgent care. If you were still working in either of those roles, you'd be on the front lines right now with this pandemic. And I'm sure you've worked with um, several ER docs that you know are helping these patients right now battle COVID-19. So just a a thank you. So some listeners, they may be familiar with integrative or functional medicine, but I thought we would start with, uh, why don't you tell the audience what this type of medicine offers versus traditional medicine?
6: Okay, so in, you know the the nuts and bolts of integrative and functional medicine really are related. They're really under the same umbrella, um, but there's two different training tracks to become certified to offer um, either or both. Um, integrative medicine really is uh, defined as a healing-oriented medicine that takes into account the whole person, right, mind, body, and spirit. And we incorporate all aspects of their lifestyle, including how they sleep, their social interactions, their spiritual connection, their nutrition, et cetera. Um, And looking even more deeply into that with functional medicine as we look at what has their medical journey been and what has led them to where they are today and looking, really diving a little deeper into that with functional medicine using the systems-based approach that focuses on identifying and addressing root causes of disease. Um, And I think as we get further into um, medicine, Mm. I guess where we've been is that we we have a linear approach to medicine uh, with Western medicine. If you're an MD or DO, we're trained to look at a disease and define it in a linear fashion like it may have one cause, like pneumonia has a bacterial cause or a viral cause. And we... We give a treatment based on that. So we have a single cause and we have a single solution. And I think we've gotten to the point where we've gotten really good at that, but we've almost exhausted that in medicine uh, because we're seeing many, many more chronic diseases like heart disease, cardiovascular related to diabetes, and they're intermeshed together, a lot of depression, a huge rise in autoimmune disorders. And those are not diseases that have one cause. Those are multifactorial Uh, Diseases, and we need to continue searching for root causes that may, such such as inflammation, that may affect multiple different systems, and that's where functional medicine really kind of complements integrative medicine, Um, and look at that as a multifactorial approach. You know, we need to look at the whole lifestyle and zero back into how does their whole lifestyle. Uh, And the food choices that they're making and the exercise and their ability to sleep and handle stress. How does that zero back into a cause such as inflammation that would broadcast and manifest itself in many different ways? Um, So those two together really complement each other.
0: You know, looking at your resume, you completed a two-year integrative medicine fellowship and soon to be board certified. And some may confuse integrative medicine, maybe with holistic or naturopath and chiropractic medicine. So please explain the difference between those and the integrative medical practice that you offer as a doctor of medicine.
6: Okay. So I I am actually board certified in integrative medicine. I did a two-year fellowship at the University of Arizona with Dr. Andrew Weil and the program that they have there. And then I am almost certified. I'm about to become certified in functional medicine, which is another two-year fellowship offered by the Institute for Functional Medicine. So it takes a lot of training actually to be qualified to do integrative and functional medicine if you want to do it correctly and do it responsibly. And so we offer all of that as a an adjunct to somebody's primary care at Integrative Medicine uh, of Arizona, or I also do concierge medicine where I encompass the whole care of the patient. So I use regular medical, um, my medical training to do regular medicine, right, which you call Western medicine, but using complementary systems that would dive deeper and individualize it for a patient. We look at genetic predispositions to disease. We look at little indicators along the way that might signal that there's a problem. We really, I use food as medicine. I have a dietician that I work with. Uh, we address the whole mind-body connection. Uh, with I have an acupuncturist, uh, a health coach, and we incorporate all of those together to emphasize good health and optimize health for the future, for the patients. We're not just reacting to a disease, we're actually trying to prevent something from developing in the future.
0: I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.